Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a discussion of how commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures are destroying our planet's precious wildlife. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about the increased demand for lion bones. Now that suppliers for the traditional Chinese medicine trade have depleted the world's wild tiger population to fewer than 4,000 tigers, they are turning to lions as the main ingredient in the various health potions and wines previously made from tiger bones and body parts. Dr. Peter Katt of LionAid gives us the inside story on how the existing legal trade in lions is contributing to this worrying trend. How many African wild lions are left? That's an interesting question, Risha, because um, the, the, the real answer is that um, we know to some extent how many are left, but we don't know exactly how many are left. Um, for example, we think that uh, there might have been about 200,000 lions in in the 1960s, but this is not based on somebody going out and actually counting all of them. This is based on extrapolations from small um, pieces of information. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, about 200,000 in the 1960s and about, uh, we think these days, 20 to 25,000 in total. Better left. Now, now, as you you know, um, 20 to 25,000 might sound like a large number, but Africa is a very, very large continent. And um, what is actually happening is that a lot of those populations um, are very small. You know, you've got 20 here, 30 there, 40 there. And when you add them all up together, you get to 20 to 25,000. So it's not like there's, there's um, you know, a, a huge number of lions in one particular place or anything like that. Hmm. Has this decline in the population been steady, or are there certain points at which it accelerated? Well, actually, um, we don't know that. We mm-hmm. we think that um, the decline has been pretty steady over the years, mm-hmm. um, and um, um, but it's it's um, it's been steady to the point. Where where we now have so few left um, that the decline seems even faster as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And are there different subspecies of uh, the African lion, and are the different subspecies affected in different ways? Well, there's only officially there's only two um, lion subspecies that are recognized. Um, the one is uh, in Africa, and the other one is in um, there's a very small population of lions that is left in India. Right. Now, uh, however, what, what has recently come to light is through some um, genetic work that has been done by a university in Holland, they have shown that the Western and Central African lions are actually more genetically related to the Indian lions than to the other lions in Africa. So you have a very strange division. Western and Africa, Central African lions are um, almost like Indian lions, and the eastern and southern African lions um, are separated off by, by themselves. Huh. I had no so idea. In, 
So in Africa, you, you might say that there are two um, subspecies. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So making three in total, the, uh, the Asian uh, lion and then right. these two. Huh. And what factors have contributed to the decline in the wild lion populations? Well, we think there that um, um, the decline is, is, has been pretty much inevitable because, you know, what, is, what has been happening in Africa um, in the last 50 years, certainly, and probably a little bit before that, is that you've had um, quite substantial growth in human populations. Mm-hmm. And when you get growth in human populations, you get growth in livestock populations. Um, more and more land um, is demanded and, um, you know, expansion of agriculture and things like that. So mm-hmm. where lions used to roam, um, what you see now is that there's um, a lot of cattle walking around and that there's a lot of um, crops being grown. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, um, I think those days in, in terms of declines are, are almost over. I think that, mm-hmm. that um, there are so few um, lion populations outside the protected areas these days that what we are seeing in terms of uh, the declines are more and more attributable to um, trophy hunting, sport hunting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then now they have uh, another threat. Um, I read the article on your blog about lion bones now being in demand for use in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, can you give us some insight on that? Well, it's something that um, that has recently come to our attention um, mm-hmm. because there have been there have been some very strange um, aspects of, of exports to, um, and, and in this case, um, most of these these bones appear to be going to Laos and a little bit fewer to um, to Vietnam. But mm-hmm. um, this has only been happening in um, in the last few years. But um, people. People um, in Africa have been alerting us to the fact that um, the, these um, lion bones have been being shipped out for quite some time. Um, for example, in um, I think it was in uh, um, in the 19. Let me look this up for you. Somewhere in the um, um, yeah. In 2010, um, it was estimated that um, one kilo, so two pounds or whatever, a little bit more than two pounds, mm-hmm. um, of lion bones you could sell for about $300. Uh, um, and a couple of years before that, that same kilo would uh, would only fetch about $10 in terms of the commercial market. So huh. there's been a huge jump. There's been a huge, huge jump recently in the mm-hmm. value um, of lion bones. And this was... Um, this was driven by this um, traditional medicine market, um, mm-hmm. where, where since we have so few tigers um, that used to provide the uh, the bones, mm-hmm. um, and I must say that you know these these bones are largely um, sold as um, what is what used to be called tiger bone wine and is now you know lion bone wine, um, and it and it solves things supposedly like rheumatism and things like that. But since lion bones um, or sorry, since tiger bones are now so difficult to obtain, um, there's been a switch to these um, um, lion bones. 
Huh. And they're being marketed as lion bones. They're not being um, uh, sold as tiger bones. They're not disguised, so to speak, as tiger bones. That that I don't know. I, I think I think the product is um, still being sold as um, tiger bone wine. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but um, I think somewhere along the line, somebody made the uh, the decision that um, lion bones were just as good as tiger bones, so they're being substituted very very widely these days. Oh my gosh! Now, what what countries are exporting the lion bones? Well, the the export um, seems to largely come from from South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see from the uh, the trade records that other countries are exporting large amounts of of, uh, of lion bones to any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they come from South Africa because there it is the only country in Africa that has a um, a very large captive breeding program that have been, that has been set up for for lion. Oh, now, okay. Huh. Now, you you have to understand that um, South Africa um, sort of prides itself in in um, you know its conservation record and and um, doing good things for wild species. And one of the things that they are they are um, doing a lot of, and you also know this from from rhinos, mm -hmm. is that they they have allowed uh, um, a lot of wildlife species to be placed in private hands. Right. And as a as a result of that, what you see is, um, you know, the the there, there's quite a lot of rhinos that are being ranched and farmed, mm -hmm. and, and um, also what has been happening is that the uh, the ranchers and the farmers have have um, figured out that lions are uh, commercially quite, um, um, you know, they're they're. They're worth quite a lot of money if you sell them to trophy hunters. Mm -hmm. So what has happened is that these days there are about 4,000 lions in captivity, all being bred to supply this trophy hunting market. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as a spin-off from this trophy hunting market, because, you know, the trophy hunter only wants a skin mm -hmm. and the head and things like that, maybe some claws, um, and they don't necessarily want the bones. Mm -hmm. So what has been happening more and more is that um, since the farmer and the ranchers and the, the, the breeders realize that um, these bones now have value, um, they are now being exported to various uh, countries in, 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 uh, in Asia. Oh, now tell us how that's legal or if, if that is, because that just seems, there just seems to be all kinds of wrong with that, but it's legal, isn't it? It's, it's 100% legal. It's, um, <laughs> Um, you know, nobody um, is going to prevent the export of lion bones, uh, especially if they come from a, uh, a captive source. Huh. Um, in, in, in this case, you know, with, uh, with the captive bred lions. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, this is one of the things that, is, um, that has happened with um, allowing um, wildlife species um, into private hands, is mm -hmm. that the private owners obviously want to make the maximum profits that they can. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, if they can sell, in in some cases, they'll, they're, you know, they're they're selling the lion twice. In in this case, you know, once for its trophy value and, and uh, once for its bones. Oh, so so this could even be 
intentional then, the fact that they're using both the head and the body of the lion. So this is almost like a a, a, a second business that they're able to get into. Absolutely. And, you know, some hmm. people are even saying that um, um, they're now um, going back to places where they had buried the, the lion bones before from past hunts mm -hmm. and digging them up again to be exported. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, that's, oh, that's morbid, but you know, people will do crazy things for money. Whew. Um, now with these, you said that these, uh, captive breeding, um, ranches, uh, where they're breeding the lions so that they can be hunted. Are these also, the places where people go and pose with the lions and handle the lions, are we talking about tame animals here? Well, there, there has been some controversy about mm -hmm. um, the, the, you know, the, the, the sort of walking with lions and petting lion cubs and breeding mm -hmm. of lions and things like that. Um, now, you have to understand, you know, that, that in South Africa, and as is the case um, all over the world, mm -hmm. um, uh, there's there's a demand for these young cubs because um, people like to walk around with them and stroke them and pet them and mm -hmm. things like that. But um, these these lines obviously grow up and mm -hmm. and then what do you do with them? There's there's no place to to put um, these these um, um, tame by now and and uh, lines that are used to humans. There's no place to put them anymore. Mm -hmm. So people are saying that. That a lot of these programs that have these sort of petting zoos um, contribute directly to um, the canned hunting. Canned hunting meaning you know hunting of, of these um, captive bred animals, um, and so therefore that um, you know it's 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 all one and the same sort of process. And again, it's a way of of making some money off your lines because when they're small you can walk around with them. And then when they're big, you can hunt them and then you can sell their bones now too. So they're, they're really making a lot of profit off these animals. Wow. Now, speaking of the trophy hunting and, and the bones and the, um, this uh, traditional Chinese medicine market, do you anticipate or maybe have you already seen an increase in these uh, pseudo hunters from the countries which would traditionally be consuming tiger products, um, kind of like what we've seen with the rhinos. They're able to go and um, legally kill the animal, legally take the part out, but then obviously it's not going up on their wall. It's not a trophy. It's going straight to the traditional medicine market. Um, have you seen or, or do you anticipate that kind of activity? Well, we, we, we are starting to see that. Um, um, and... Um, what what seems to be happening is that look, um, people have come from all over the world to um, hunt um, lions in in southern Africa and eastern Africa and, and uh, western Africa and places like that. But um, these have always been um, hunters fr from let's say the USA, from France, from mm -hmm. Germany, from Spain. You know, those are those are the big um, um, countries that where where people. People are um, what I would call traditional trophy hunters. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these are the guys that, that go out and, and actually shoot trophies. The, mm -hmm. uh, um, 
from from the Asian countries, we've we've hardly seen any kind of activity um, in terms of, of trophy hunting until, um, as you know, what happened with the uh, with the rhinos. All of a sudden, there was a big interest mm-hmm. from um, Vietnam and also from Thailand and places like that, where suddenly um, nationals of those countries became avid trophy hunters. Now, this has never been seen before, and you know, you go back through the um, the export records from, I think you can go back to about 1975, mm-hmm. but you can go back, you know, all those years and there's been absolutely no interest. And then all of a sudden there was a big interest in hunting rhinos uh, um, from from um, people from Vietnam and, and, uh, and Thailand, for example. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see that happening now because um, I think in, um, in the past, um, just in the past year, here. Now you have to understand that these records are still being compiled. All right, so um, we're now talking about 2010, where okay. the information is still being put together, right? Um, and in uh, 2010, all of a sudden, um, what we have seen is that 43 line trophies um, were exported to Laos. Hmm. And none in any year before that, and none to anywhere else. In, in Asia before that. So um, a jump from zero to 43 is, is pretty significant. And like I said, yeah. you know, these are preliminary. Yeah. So the 43 number might, might even go up. But um, all of a sudden, it has um, um, become uh, sort of a, an in thing to do, you know, by, for, for people in Laos. You can't imagine that somebody in Laos would actually go out and, and come and trophy hunt a lion unless there is some kind of other reason why they're doing that and again it's the same thing as with the as with the rhinos mm-hmm. where um, as you know there has been what what has now been termed pseudo trophy hunting where they yes. come out they'll shoot a rhino but they're not, not interested in the trophy hunt or anything like that they're just interested in the horn yes and I think what's happening now is um, we're starting to see the same thing with the um, with the, the the lions where these guys are not interested in any kind of aspect of trophy hunting what they want is the the body and uh, perhaps other parts. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, definitely suspicious. <laughs> the point that I was trying to make is that we have seen this pattern developing in terms of the um, the the rhino poaching uh, mm-hmm. story, where first um, there was all this um, uh, pseudo trophy hunting going on. There were legal exports of, of rhino horns to various. Asian countries, and now all of a sudden, you know, once you fuel that um, demand, then um, the supply cannot keep up anymore. And exactly. That's why we're seeing so much of this. Um, you know, that's why we're seeing so much of this this poaching going on in in uh, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Um, what are we up to for 2011? It was 448 animals that have been poached and you know we're already up to something over 30 40 this, One, um, 135 this year 135 yeah yep at this so at this once moment. you once you once you start a um, a demand cycle going um you're you're left with um um all kinds of of people who want to take advantage of that demand which is pretty much an insatiable, it seems, in, in, in Asia. Yeah. And, and um, I'm, I'm really worried that what we're going to start seeing is the same thing 
happening with with the lions because it's already following the same pattern you know you have mm -hmm. you have the, the the legal exports of bones you have the um the pseudo trophy hunting starting now next thing you'll find is that um um we will start to see lions being poached um in various countries to deliver these bones oh yeah i yeah i agree i agree i I think that is going to be a trend, unfortunately. It's an indication that um, you know these 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 people who are uh, um, wanting these these wildlife products are now faced with um, only being able to get them from Africa. Hmm. Oh gosh. Now I know that you guys have been doing some uh, work in getting the African lions uplisted. Can you talk a little more about how uplisting the lions from CITES Appendix 2 to Appendix 1 will help with this situation that's going on with the African lions? Well, the, I, I think the uplisting... Uh is is good for um, a number of reasons but mm -hmm. you know a lot of people think that, that um, once um, a species is uplisted to mm -hmm. appendix one of CITES that um, that means that there's no more trade um, and that's not right because right. you know there's a lot of trade, there's a lot of trade in CITES one species yes um, for example um, leopards are on CITES Appendix 1, but they're, you know, being uh, trophy hunted left, right, and center still. Yes. Now, what the the, the difference between um, putting it on, on CITES Appendix 1 is that um, the world community is alerted to the fact that there's something going on with that species that urgently needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's, it's, it's now um, it's now much more critical to look at what is happening in terms of populations of that species. So I think what um, what's important for the uplisting is that um, <clears throat> first of all, there's the realization by the world community that this species, and you know, in, in this case now lions, is in a lot of trouble. And secondly, what what um, um, what happens is that any kind of trade um, in that species is now being looked at much more carefully um, and the uh, for example with the, um, um, for appendix one species it has to be shown for the country to be able to allow continue to to export them it has to be shown that the um, the exports are actually good for the conservation of the species mm -hmm. that it's monitored by professional biologists so you know there's a lot more checks and balances that come into play once um, once you get onto appendix one mm -hmm. good it's um it's a way of, of, of telling people look um you know there's there's some real problems with these um with these animals we cannot continue um as we have before in terms of um exporting their products and and um uh, um being engaged in trophy hunting it, it becomes a much more strictly regulated process and the other thing that's that's really important is that um, with Appendix 1 species, um, it's not only an export license that is required, but also an import license. Oh, okay. And that's important because if an import license is required, individual countries can make up their own minds as to whether or not they believe that the importation of that species is good or bad for the animal. 
what this means, for example, is that um, in the USA, um, they have decided, this is um, uh, US Fish and Wildlife Service, what they, they have decided that um, they will not allow any kind of um, trophy hunting imports of cheetahs, for mm -hmm. example, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but um, cheetah trophies are perfectly legal to be imported into, into Europe. So it's the United States that has decided, no, we don't agree with um, um, the, the importation of cheetah trophies, so therefore we individually can decide to put a ban on the import. Mm -hmm. So that's, our, that's the power of, of the, um, the individual import um, requirements that are needed for Appendix 1 species. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not, it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. um, Uplisting, uh, for some reason, is, is scary uh, to, to a lot of countries and to a lot of people because you have to realize that um, um, uplisting will mean stricter controls, like I was saying earlier. Yes, and, yes. And, um, you know, um, there's a lot of people out there that are making a lot of money off of lion trophy hunting. Right. And uh, they they feel very, very threatened by this, and what they're trying to do is to try and exercise whatever influence they have to convince um, the various African lion range states that uplisting is a very bad idea. Yeah, they, well, they don't want to uh, have anything happen to the profits, and they don't want any more checks and balances. That, they just want to keep doing what they're yeah. doing the way they're doing it and not have anyone looking at them. <laughs> Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> yep. Well, can you tell us some more about uh, LionAid and what people can do to help support the work that you're doing? Well, um, Richard, we, we are um, a relatively small charity, but, um, you know, to, to pat ourselves on the back, um, we've only been operating for about two years. And... Um, in those two years, we have achieved um, uh, considerable success. Now, what what we have decided to do is, um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, charities and organizations and foundations out there that um, support um, line projects. In other mm -hmm. words, you know, looking at um, line populations in the wild and um, funding uh, field work and and things like that. Now. Um, we, we, I used to be um, out in the field. I, I spent 10 years in, in Botswana um, studying lions. But in actual fact, if you, if you look at um, the, the decline in lions, this has been going on um, unabated since, like I said, the 1960s, which also in the 1960s was the, the, the year that um, the first lion research project started in the Serengeti. So even though um, there have been a lot of research projects out there, um, lines have continued to decline. And what we decided to do was to take a, a, um, a political approach because actually it's, it's politicians, like it or not, um, who are decision makers in terms of a lot of aspects of, of wildlife conservation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we have been um, campaigning very hard here in the UK 
and increasingly in Europe. And um, I'm pretty sure that you'll see us turning up in, in the U.S. pretty soon. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have, have uh, just recently um, been funded by the U.K. government to hold a, um, a very important conference in, uh, in Africa. Uh, we have something like 11 African Lion Range states attending, and you know these are these are not scientists; these are members of their uh, management and scientific authorities who are going to sit around the table and discuss the best way forward for their lion populations. Mm -hmm. What is going to happen is that you know these decision makers need to sit down and they need to say, well, how many lions do we want in our countries? Where do we want these lions to occur? And once we've made those decisions, how are we going to ensure that those populations are protected? And that's the only way that we're going to reverse the, um, the tremendous decline in these lion populations. Outstanding. And how can people help you guys out? What do people do to get involved in help Lion Aid? Well, um, as you know, um, all of this stuff... You know this this campaigning, this traveling, these organizations uh, that that uh, we we have to talk to, the countries that we have to visit. It all costs money. So you know we're we're back to um, an appeal for um, for donations. Mm -hmm. Now we have um, uh, um, we would like to see that um, you know what what uh, we could receive is uh, individual donations, and we're we're getting those from people who are convinced that we're doing good work. What we would also like to see is um, corporate sponsorship, you know, things like that, the, the, the usual ways of, of um, funding um, organizations that are doing good work in terms of conservation of species. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, um, we, um, we have our, um, our website, which is um, org, and people can go on there and they can read, you know, the the various blogs that we've been putting up, the um, the news items, and they can get a good, good idea of what we're doing. And I stress again that we're very young, um, and, and we um, we've only been working for two years, but uh, we're effective because um, we're small, and we're effective because we can move fast, and uh, um, we're effective because we um, we knock on lots and lots of doors, and. Um, um, we don't go away, you know, once we, once we want to talk to somebody and once we want somebody to listen to us, um, you know, we'll be on the phone pretty much every single day to you until you, you, um, you come forward and sit down and talk with us about uh, what you can do to save lions. <laughs> Good. They're, they're one of the most iconic species in the world. They're important to a huge number of cultures. And one of the things that we're also trying to do is to convince uh, UNESCO to um, consider lions as, as a world heritage species. You know that UNESCO has a lot of these world heritage sites yes. all over the world. Um, so why not have a world heritage species? Because um, it's it's uh, lions are important to cultures all, all over the world. I mean, mm -hmm. China, Japan, Korea, um, India has, you know, the, the, the national emblem of India is, is, is a couple of lions. You've got lions on flags all over the over the place. Singapore is named Singa, it means lion, um, mm. and lions are frightfully important, um, you know, 
in, in Western cultures. You've got two lions sitting outside the, um, the public library in New York. You've got lions on Trafalgar Square. They're all over the place. You know, they're, they're terribly important to a lot of cultures because of the, the implied characteristics that we associate with lions, like strength, nobility, mm-hmm. etc. Yes. Well, that all sounds excellent. And I'm so glad that you took time to talk to us today. It was really great to speak with you. Well, you're very welcome. You've been listening to The Increased Demand for Lion Bones with Dr. Peter Catt of LionAid. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes.